This episode of That Time of the Month is brought to you by Essential Goodness, a local indie bath and body company in Nashville, Tennessee. Visit their store on Etsy, My Essential Goodness, and get 20% off by using the code TTOTM. All of their products are 100% made with natural ingredients and fragrance only with essential oils. Feeling blue, what do you do? We got stories to see you through that time of the month, that time of the month. Hello, this is Chris Pilney, the co-producer of That Time of the Month. And right now we are on hiatus with the live show. And it will be returning in January with the theme Rocky Starts, which we still need submissions for. And you can find more about at thattimeofthemonth.com with dashes between all the words. So that-time-of-the-month.com. And uh, yeah, we're still looking for more submissions and we would love to see what you have to say about your Rocky Starts. But while we're in hiatus with the live show, the podcast is going to feature a best of series, two of them. This month, it'll feature Melanie Vare, our leader in general and general in lead or whatever you want to call her, the head muse and the bombshell, whatever else, what other adjectives you can come up with. Her rock star stories will be featured this month. And then next month, you have the best of me, Chris Pilney, my favorite topic. So let's go to her first story, Robbed and Overdrawn. It's a chilling tale of ATM withdrawal and how having a zero balance might save your life. I like that Melanie initially wrote this story as a way to cope with a traumatic incident in her life. And yet it turned out to be one of the funniest stories that I've ever heard. And it just goes to show that sometimes humor, I mean, sometimes pain. Nope. Nope. I had the quite quote, right. The first time, sometimes humor comes from the most painful and scary things that happen in our lives. So let's listen to it, robbed and overdrawn. It was nine o'clock on a warm Los Angeles fall night, 2007. <laughs> it had been a long day. On my way home, I stopped at an ATM. I was the only one in the parking lot. After making my transaction, I walked back to my car, opened the door, and was about to get inside when out of what seemed nowhere, a man grabbed me, put a knife to my throat, and demanded I give him all my money. After I finished screaming my head off, I tried to give him whatever he wanted, but unfortunately, I was overdrawn at the time. <laughs> I thought he'd realize I was a lost cause and move on, but he didn't. He forced me into the driver's seat while he climbed in the back seat directly behind me, keeping the knife to my throat the whole time. He then instructed me to drive. After a few moments, of the awkward silence was killing me, so I began to apologize. I said, you know, I'm sorry I don't have more money to give you. It's just, I'm really bad with my money. I've already bounced like two checks this month. And I just never seem to be save. I, I never seem to be able to save a penny. Oh, and I've been really irresponsible with credit cards too. I think I've even gone to Debtors Anonymous. I should probably go back. I mean, I may look like I have money, but that's because, just because I totally overspend and I don't stay within my budget. After letting me ramble without taking a breath, he mumbled, yeah, I hear you. <laughs> After a few minutes, he told me to pull over. 
and that's when he put a tighter grip on me. He pressed the knife steady to my throat, and he started groping me. It hit hit me what was about to happen, so I started in on another rant. Oh, no, you're not going to rape me, are you? Oh, no, please, I don't want to have to go to therapy. I'm not really even sure it works. Oh, God, please don't. I'm a pretty well-adjusted person. I grew up in Orange County. My parents are still together. This is going to totally screw me up. I don't want to carry this into all my future relationships. And I definitely don't want to turn into my grandmother and cross the street whenever I see a minority male. He cut me off. Shut up. Shut up and pull up into that dark area. No, I cried. I know what people do in dark areas. He yelled, just shut up and pull up. Then he added, I'm not going to hurt you. I didn't believe him, but then I saw him put away his knife. So I pulled up into the dark area, and he jumped out. A wave of relief poured over me as I sped off. I was so stunned to be getting away unharmed. Well, aside for his having grabbed my boobs. But who could blame him? I have a really nice rack. As I was driving, overjoyed to be free, I couldn't help but recall what several ex-boyfriends had said to me about how I talked too much. Hmm, I thought, maybe they were right. I mean, this guy didn't even want to rape me. (laughs) The police responded quickly to my call. When I told the officer what happened, he started praising me. Wow, that was some quick thinking. That's amazing how you're able to talk your way out of the situation by humanizing yourself. He thought it was some sort of a tactic. (laughs) I accepted the praise, not wanting to admit, no, actually, I'm just really annoying. (laughs) I woke up the next morning completely distraught. I had horrific nightmares all night. All I wanted was my mommy and daddy. I waited until 6 a.m. to call my parents. I wanted them to have one more night of sleep before they started picturing me slashed to pieces. I worried about telling them because I didn't want them to worry. My family raised me right. My folks are already extraordinarily wound up, especially my mom, who told me she has to wake up earlier and earlier because there are too many things she needs to get up to start worrying about. Before I could even say hello, my mom started crying. Oh my God, what happened? Suffice it to say, within an hour of my call, my dad was at my West Hollywood apartment to escort me to Orange County, where it was safe. The entire 45-minute trip south on the glorious 405 freeway, I had the privilege of receiving a lecture from my dad on ATM safety. Now, what have we learned here, young lady? No ATMs at night. When we arrived at my parents' house, my mom ran out in her pajamas, hugged me, cried, and then said, come in, you have to see all the emails you've gotten. What? Apparently, my mom had sent a mass email to everyone we know with the subject line, Melanie was kidnapped, this is not a joke. I was thinking, yeah, with a subject line like that, I'm glad friends and family weren't just like, eh, delete. <laughs> As I was reading all of the responses, I was really touched by the outpour of love. I also noticed that the emails were falling into one of three categories. 
One, I'm so sorry this happened. If you need anything, please don't hesitate to ask. Two, if the police find this guy, I'm going to personally cut off his ball. <laughs> Three, then there was my Uncle Bob, who simply replied, That sucks. <laughs> At first, I was a little put off by my uncle's nonchalant response, but it turned out to be the most helpful because it showed me how to stay brief. <laughs> After all the drama died down, I figured I was okay since technically I wasn't harmed, but I started to see that I was pretty rattled. It came to a boiling part one night at Walgreens. I found myself patrolling their parking lot. I came out of the drugstore and it was dark. I immediately noticed a man loitering in the back. As I stood there in front of the automated doors opening and closing behind me, I yelled, Sir, you're either coming in or you're headed out. <sighs> I scared the poor homeless man to death. <laughs> but I really impressed the staff at Walgreens. They've been trying to get rid of the guy for weeks. The next indication that I might have been struggling occurred on my first date after the incident. When my, when my date picked me up, I realized I was terrified to be alone in the car with a man. I should mention that I had known this guy for a few years, but still, I clung to the door handle for dear life, and in the event he tried anything funny, I was simply going to drop and roll out of the car. <laughs> after that, I decided to see a shrink, a trauma specialist. It was very helpful. The therapist explained that although everyone experiences trauma differently, there are a few symptoms that affect everyone the same. Flashbacks, hypervigilance, nightmares, increased anxiety, avoidance of places and situations that are reminders. It was oddly reassuring just to know that what I was experiencing was normal. She said it would slowly get better, and one day I would be free from all of this. She also said it would be helpful if I talked about the attack. She said it would take the power out of it. I think she suggests talking confidentially with friends and loved ones, but I decided to start talking about it at comedy clubs. <laughs> at first, audiences didn't seem to know how to respond. They didn't want to laugh, but that's what they came to the comedy show to do. And now, some blonde chick was talking about how she was nearly raped. I may have freaked out a lot of people, but I started to feel much more like my old self. Meanwhile, a few months after the incident, the detective on my case called to inform me that a man whose fingerprints matched ones found in, in my car was in custody. This news sent me on a huge adrenaline rush. I felt like the lead story on CSI West Hollywood. Sadly, though, this man was linked to another case where he had done something similar to a woman who wasn't as lucky, or I guess as annoying. I, I went to the courtroom to testify against him, but when the guard brought the defendant out, I wasn't sure he was the right guy. My doubts were quickly put to rest, however, when my man in the orange jumpsuit looked out into the crowded room, out of the crowded courtroom, he zoned right in on me and rolled his eyes. <laughs> like he was annoyed to see me again. Right, Dad? You were with me. He really did this. It was crazy. So I was... I was so nervous as I took the stand to testify, I barely remember a second of it. I do vaguely recall having parts of my testimony stricken from the record because I talked too much. <laughs> Nevertheless, our attacker is now serving 25 years to life. 
That's the end. It is true, you don't, I don't even think about it anymore. Although sometimes I scream when someone comes behind us. I remember we were walking, and some guy was running, like, on a jog, and I was like, ah! <laughs> so, every now and then it just comes out of nowhere. And that was robbed and overdrawn. I think that story leads great to the next one, as the next story is what she did to regain her confidence after the robbed and overdrawn incident. This was, well, the next story coming up. This this next story was the first story I ever heard her perform live. And I'll never forget how it just, it knocked me off my feet. Because, like, I have one of the most worrywart mothers on this side of the continental divide. And this story is about Melanie's mother and and, and what she worried about with Melanie going on this trip to Paris. And, and Suzanne Reno, I have to say, I, I always want to say Suzanne Vare, but it, it's not. That would be weird and ancestral. But it's, it's Suzanne Reno absolutely takes the cake for the most worry-wartish parents, parent, not parents, she's not Siamese twins, but she takes the cake for the most worry-wart parent I have ever heard of in my entire life, but it is astoundingly hilarious to hear what she has to say about Paris and whatever else that Melanie might run into along the way on her journey to regain her confidence and have some fun and go see some strippers at Moulin Rouge. Anyways, here's a story. Moms and money belts. Enjoy it. Ever since I can remember, my mom's been warning me about being sold into the sex slave market. <laughs> it was just everyday conversation at our breakfast table. Mom's version of a pep talk. Bad men will pay top dollar for cute, too cute blonde girls, Mom would say. Now, do you want your eggs scrambled or dippy? <laughs> it wasn't until I was in college that I realized Mom may have been overstating things a bit. I also discovered that dippy was not the official egg terminology. <laughs> it's over easy. That was an embarrassing brunch with girlfriends at the omelet parlor, as well as a liberating awareness about my mother's worrying. I decided that life would be much simpler if I avoided topics mom considered dangerous, which included, but not limited to, buying a new car, buying a used car, leasing a car, putting too much money down, putting zero down, letting a health issue go untreated, taking over-the-counter medication, taking prescription medication, riding on a motorcycle, riding on an ATV, riding on anything with less than four wheels, going anywhere alone at night, going anywhere alone, period. <laughs> that said, after I told my mom I was going on vacation to Paris for a week alone, I anxiously awaited her reaction. Melanie, you cannot go alone. Someone will follow you home, strangle you, and have sex with your corpse. <laughs> Mom, gross! Melanie, you must travel with someone. Well, I'm not, so you're just going to have to get used to the idea. After a long, uncomfortable silence, during which I could feel heat smoldering through Mom's multicolored Chico's top, she continued. <laughs> Well, well, do you even have a money belt? 
No, I'm planning to bring my brown leather saddlebag. Melanie, a bag can be cut off by professional thieves. Okay, okay, Mom, I got it. But she carried on anyway. I tuned out, and when I keyed back in 20 minutes later, she had shifted the topic of her travel safety lecture from pickpockets and muggers back to kidnappers and murderers. Now, this might sound a little paranoid, she prefaced unnecessarily. (laughs) But when you email us at night about your safety, wait, when did I agree to do this? Could you always include a code word that we both know ahead of time, just so I know that it is you that is emailing me and not a kidnapper. <laughs> Gosh, you know, you get kidnapped once and it's like your parents never forget it. <laughs> Ever since my brief ATM abduction in 2007, the phrase, don't worry, mom, hasn't meant much. The tables had turned. I no longer felt entitled to disobey mommy. Instead, at 32, I was actually considering listening to my mother for the first time in my life. Could she be right? Boy, was she spot on about going to ATMs at night. (laughs) I recognized that it was pretty gutsy to travel abroad alone just a year after being held up at knife point for 20 terrifying minutes. But I was only going to Paris, France, not Fallujah, It's probably more dangerous going to Disney World. In an attempt to ease mom's fear and my PTSD, I decided to bring in the big guns. I emailed the district attorney who had worked on my case. Deputy Chris Brown and I had become friends during the trial. He responded quickly to my email inquiry. Tell your mom I have never heard of anyone being kidnapped twice. At this point, you could go to Columbia with a t-shirt saying, My dad is Bill Gates, and no one would touch you. His blessing was the reassurance I was looking for. Mom, however, still wasn't convinced. She knew better than he, a DA in the homicide division. It wasn't that my mom didn't want me to travel, just the opposite, actually. Her greatest love in life, besides spreading cheese on crackers, is traveling. She and my dad have worn many money belts all over the world. Well, besides the scary places. I can't keep track of all of the places she's referring to, as her list is quite extensive and slightly racist. (laughs) But off the top of my head, here are a few warnings I remember receiving. Turkey. Don't go there. Men will treat you like they do their goat. South Africa Don't go there, monkeys will come into your tent at night Africa Don't go there, you'll get cholera And you'll rip and sweat into a feverish coma Is it rip? Right? Sorry Thanks mom Thailand Don't go there, they have tsunamis But if you go, stay on a high floor in the hotel And check for trees you can clutch onto But whatever you do, do not ride an elephant, Melanie. It might go rogue because it's sick of being tethered to the ground with a spike. China, don't go there. You'll get thrown in jail for spitting your gum out and receive 
1,000 lashes on your back with some bamboo thing. <laughs> Bali, don't go there. There's one woman to every 20 men. Lots of potential for things like gang rapes or Natalie Holloway disappearances. <laughs> Columbia, don't go there. You'll be forced to be a drug mule and shove balloons that could explode up you. <laughs> Laos. Come on, Melanie, just kill me now and get it over. <laughs> I, I read this to my story before the first time I did it to my mother, and she said, what? What's so funny? This is really good advice. <laughs> but it wasn't that she wanted me to just stay home and pop out a bunch of babies. Well, she did want that too. It was just that she wanted me to travel to unscary places and be escorted by a big, strong man. I did have a brawny boyfriend, now my husband, but it was, it was important, though, that I go to Paris alone. Many months of therapy had gotten me to a good place with my trauma from the kidnapping, and this trip was to be the cornerstone in regaining my lost confidence. My boyfriend and my therapist were behind my solo trip 100%. Mom was against it 110%. My mom never did give up on her anti-solo trip crusade. It's just not her style. I received terrifying emails about travel stories gone horribly wrong up until the day I left. I tried just deleting the emails immediately before they could infect my inbox and my PTSD head, but the subject lines alone got me gnawing my nails. I finally had no other choice but to set a Gmail filter on my own mother. <laughs> All emails from Melanie's mom, skip inbox, send to the folder titled, Scary Emails from Mom. <laughs> the night before I left for Paris, I made possibly the biggest mistake of my life. I checked the S-E-F-M folder. Fifteen new emails. I only opened the last two, which turned out to be two too many. The first one said, If anything bad happens, just contact us and we will wire you money, although I have no idea how to do that. <laughs> the second one said, One more thing. Be careful of little kids who might act cute just so that their scary pimp can jump you. <laughs> what? She's, yeah, she doesn't get what's so funny. <laughs> in, <laughs> in route to Paris, I was completely paranoid and started acting like a lunatic. First, I assumed a false identity. When the gentleman <laughs> sitting next to me uh, sitting next to me on the plane tried to make small talk, I launched into this dramatic story about meeting up with my husband in Paris, who, of course, had just finished a tour of duty in Iraq. <laughs> who would mess with a military wife? Next, I bitched out a ten-year-old. <laughs> when a rambunctious little boy at Charles de Gaulle Airport accidentally bumped into me, I used a harsh tone and told him that if he didn't respect my personal space, I'd call policia. <laughs> Tears welled up in the little boy's eyes as, and he mumbled something in French to his pimp. 
Or I guess it could have been his mom, but I wasn't taking any chances. <laughs> I continued to maneuver through Paris at this level of suspicion for the first 48 hours. Then one person after another reminded me that I was in a city nicknamed Gay Paris, so named to convey the copious amounts of fun this marvelous city of lights had to offer. And never had I been more uptight. Just as I started to let my guard down a little and relax, my almighty American hair straightener exploded. I had an adapter. Actually, I had three. Panicked, I considered running out and finding a French hair straightening iron. But in a moment of clarity, I remembered the real purpose of my trip. So I laid my heat-resistant pad over my straightener, thanked it for its service, and finally surrendered. I threw caution to the wind, I let my naturally curly locks loose, and I abandoned myself to the limitless joy to be had in that magical city. When I got back to my hotel room that evening, I had a new email, this time from my dad. Your mother is very worried. <laughs> Have a super time, but stay off the news. <laughs> I did both. <laughs> Crazy, crazy for feeling so lonely. Oh, hello there. You caught me in midst of my Patsy Cline kind of obsession. But the reason I was singing that song is for the next story, which debuted during our mental health live show in March. Uh, and the reason I was singing crazy is I think that, I mean, at least for me, I think at all times or at least once in a while in our lives, we think we're actually crazy or we have people who say, well, you're crazy. I mean, it might be an ex or it might be just someone who's watching you do something insane. Who knows? But I just feel like at all, at all points we go through this feeling of, Oh my gosh, I'm crazy. Like I'm insane. But this is a story that proves what happens when the wrong people think that you're actually crazy it's called mental and i think it'll really make you refocus your thoughts on am i really crazy we'll see and that my friends was my sports center update the yankees signed brian mccann i don't like the yankees let's hear the story not that long ago, I checked myself into a psych ward. It was an accident. <laughs> I had recently got laid off, but that's not entirely why I wound up in the loony bin. I worked for a big corporation, and I had uh, badass health insurance, which I took 100% advantage of. I saw every doctor I'd ever dreamed of. I went to the chiropractor weekly, I tried alternative drug treatments. I had two colonoscopies. I really lived it up. <laughs> I didn't realize that this would come back to bite me in the butt. No pun intended. When I got laid off, I couldn't get health coverage. Well, not the cheap kind, anyway. As it turned out, my accumulation of doctor visits for indigestion and back tension revealed that I was very, very anxious. 
So I decided to join the club and I started taking medication. Shortly after, I got laid off from my job, which interestingly was a big source of my unease. However, I soon discovered that another big instigator of anxiety is being unemployed and having no idea where your life is headed. <laughs> so I decided to stick with the meds. Now I didn't know what to do. No job, no insurance, and my anxiety medication needed to be refilled ASAP. With insurance, it was $8. Without, it was 180 This was making me very anxious. <laughs> I decided to do research. I, I decided to research free clinics and found one that sounded good. It called itself a walk-in clinic. The only problem was you can't exactly walk out. <laughs> the woman on the phone said that the process would take about three hours. I figured I'd just bring my laptop, get some work done. I figured wrong. I was met at the front entrance by a security guard who promptly took away my laptop, cell phone, iPod, keys, and any other sharp objects. It kind of reminded me of being taken to the drunk tank in high school. <laughs> I was rushed back into some sort of interrogation room where a nurse took my vitals and asked me a bunch of questions. He kept commenting on how well I speak. I felt really good about myself. <laughs> until I saw the competition. <laughs> the other patients were a hot mess. One girl wasn't wearing any shoes and she was foaming at the mouth. And she was the most together of the bunch. After the interrogation, the nurse brought me into a holding room that consisted of a bunch of lazy boys in a circle around a TV. Luckily, there was a marathon playing of Jersey Shore. Watching, in a, watching it in a psych ward was interesting. I mean, these weren't exactly the best examples for us mental patients. There were just a bunch of dysfunctional people abusing alcohol. It reminded me of my 20s. <laughs> Hours passed without anyone saying anything to me, besides one nurse who came in to ask me where I got my boots. Steve Madden, I replied, Oh gosh, did she like them or did she think I didn't deserve free psych meds because I had boots from the season? <laughs> so I added, oh, but they were a gift. <laughs> <laughs> By hour four, I was getting hungry and starting to feel a little anxious. Plus, I was pumped up on hours of back-to-back -back Jersey Shores. <laughs> I went to take my last anxiety pill, but remembered that too had been confiscated. Now I really started to get restless. I decided to walk into the lobby to see where I was in the queue and whether I could get my pill. The second I stepped out of the waiting room, the shoe nurse yelled, Ma'am, you cannot be out here. We are processing. We will call you when we're ready for you. Well, that didn't exactly soothe my nerves. Now I was anxious and a little pissed off. Worst of all, I was growing hungrier by the minute. And when I'm really hungry, there's no telling what I'm capable of. To quote Jay Wow from Jersey Shore, I can knock a bitch out. <laughs> I was terrified that I'd wind up lashing out and the shoe nurse would come in and stick me with some sedative and admit me for good. 
I started picturing my life there in the insane asylum. I would try to convince the staff that I was actually pretty sane, but no one would believe me because they all saw Shutter Island. <laughs> I imagined that I'd become best friends with the shoeless, foaming mouth girl, and I'd teach her how to speak well like me. Oops, I mean, speak well like I do. <laughs> I had imagined the same type of thing during my second visit to the drunk tank when I was 23. Playing these scenarios out in my head sent my anxiety through the roof. I just started to laugh like a crazy person. I mean, I had come there to get relief from my anxiety and now everything about this place was sending me over the edge. Finally, they called my name for discharge and I discovered the real reason the shoe nurse didn't want me out in the lobby. There was no breach of security. She was just online shopping. For my boots, she was on the Steve Madden website. Girls were all the same, even in the psych ward. When I walked outside with my free drugs, five hours later, I had a $68 parking ticket. At first, I felt like I was really going to lose my marbles. But then I calculated that it was still $112 savings. <laughs> Plus, I got a new client. <laughs> yep, when the first nurse was, taking, was asking me all of those intake questions, I stated that I was a comedy writer slash script doctor slash unemployed. Turns out, he just finished writing his first feature film and would love my feedback. <laughs> Only in L.A. This was in Los Angeles. I guess it really wasn't that shocking that I related so much with the shoe shopping nurse and the moonlighting screenwriter nurse. I mean, we were all human and living in Los Angeles at the time. But what caught me off guard was the connection I felt to the other patients. Although at the forefront I was thinking, how did I wind up here with all these crazy people? You know, I'm not that crazy, I'm just normal people crazy. There was a deeper part of me that was scared and humbled because had I not received the extensive help I did at a young age, I would have wound up here for real. For me, gaining control over alcohol was like Wow trying to control her temper. <laughs> but since giving up that chem chemical over 10 years ago, I have not had to spend any nights in the drunk tank or had any bouts of alcohol poisoning. <laughs> with the elimination of alcohol, my external problems nearly vanished along with it. This allowed me to gain a closer look at the causes and conditions underneath my alcohol abuse. In time, I was set free internally, too. What's to say that the tougher cases I shared lazy boys with in the psych ward weren't to put down a substance they unknowingly were allergic to also, or were given the right cocktail of psych meds to reset a mental imbalance, their lives couldn't be put back on the tracks, too. Maybe their lives, although by all appearances, were in the shitter, actually have just reached a level low enough to get their attention. Thank you. We got tales by kooky chicks that time of the month, that time of the month. We've all been at that beginning stage in a relationship when you're still getting to know someone and you absolutely hide everything that you think might terrify them. Um, this might be a specific obsession with 
maybe a certain kind of food or a celebrity or a celebrity magazine, or it might be, it might be a bowel movement. I don't know, but there's always, there's always things that we, we don't, or we keep our hopefully spouses down the road from hearing about or knowing about. And this is a tale of that. It's called the bachelor's call of duty. Growing up, I spent a significant amount of time running around my suburban neighborhood, playing games involving immense imagination. Some I even played with other children. (laughs) But most required my friends be imaginary. That said, I spent an even larger portion of my childhood with my ass plopped down on the couch in front of the television. I can remember many summer days where I wouldn't even change out of my Paisley PJ set. I'd wake up at a healthy 9 a.m., watch various back-to-back sitcom reruns, Saved by the Bell, Who's the Boss, Facts of Life. That led into 10 a.m. Price is Right. 11 a.m., and then into 11 a.m., Little House on the Prairie. After that, the day was a blur. Somewhere along the way, a friend suggested I try Days of Our Lives. I tried it once and couldn't stop. That 12 noon show was the gateway soap opera. Seamlessly transitioning into 1 p.m. One Life to Live and 2 p.m. General Hospital. Before I knew it, 3 p.m. was here, and Oprah Winfrey was filling my family's living room with aha moments. (laughs) TV continued to play an important role in my life, even all throughout college, statistically proven to be the time in a person's life when they watch the least amount of television. That's, of course, because college kids are hard at work studying to all hours of the night, but mainly drinking. However, I still managed to sneak in endless hours of TV viewership, nicely rounding out the survey sample. (laughs) Speaking of survey samples, late afternoons were spent watching game shows like Family Feud and the classic cop drama Chips. (laughs) Looking back, most of the games I played outside involved recreating my favorite television shows. (laughs) One One game in particular, I made my friend Davey ride his bike alongside me while I hummed the Chips theme song. Dun, 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 dun. That was it. That was the whole game. I also made Davey play Fall Guy. Remember Fall Guy? I persuaded him to jump off a property dividing wall. And he was to yell, Fall Guy, as I yelled, Fall Girl. But that's as far as I thought it through. I hoped for a soft landing as we made contact with the ground. Luckily, the wall was only three feet tall and situated on a slope. In addition to Chips and Fall Guy, the other male-skewing show I somehow got hooked on was Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, For that show, I somehow navigated my way inside our city's sewer system, although I didn't get very far. 
And my soap opera addiction really came to the surface during my family's cruise to the Caribbean. It seemed like way too perfect a setting. So upon boarding the ship, I assigned my family members their new identities. We would all be playing the Rockefellers. No one was to break character for any reason. Mom was to play Natasha, our, our materialistic mother who had a bit of a pill problem. Dad was given the role of Simon, the larger-than-life Wall Street tycoon. And Tiffany, my older sister of three years, was required to play Michelle, a real bitch. <laughs> I played Jess, everyone's favorite Rockefeller, naturally. The cruise turned out to be very stressful, though. My parents humored me at first and played along, but shortly after, they'd forget to answer to their pseudo-Rockefeller names, and they'd constantly fall out of character. <laughs> well, except for my sister, she nailed her way. <laughs> Fast forward to my 20s. I graduated from college, moved, to, moved from San Diego to Los Angeles, and started working in the television industry. I started at, at Fox in TV publicity. They definitely hired the right person. After that, I moved into television research, where I analyzed the popularity of TV programs via Nielsen ratings. I was working for CBS, where I was encouraged to watch as much television as humanly possible. I was even provided with a TV in my workstation. I felt as though I had died and gone to heaven. But just when things couldn't get any better, I met a guy. He was a warm, friendly, intelligent, thoughtful, and super cute guy. He was perfect. Now I felt like I had really died and gone to heaven. I thought to myself, now don't fuck this up. It's <laughs> my internal voice. <laughs> So when my new man revealed what could be considered a deal-breaker for me and many Americans, that he didn't watch television, he didn't even own a set, just didn't find much value in it, besides The Daily Show, I naturally agreed with him. I pretended the TV didn't mean that much to me either. I really, I could take it or leave it. I told him how I desperately wanted to get out of this TV industry I somehow randomly fell into. <laughs> I could only keep up the charade for so long, though. He'd come over and I'd feel tortured, not turning on the TV. My heart would be heavy, knowing I was missing the finale of Project Runway, or the premiere of The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. But every morning, I thanked God for the invention of the DVR. <laughs> there are certain shows, though, that just have to be watched live. One being The Bachelor. It was the finale of Jake's season when I was forced to come clean. My boyfriend wanted to get together that night. I didn't know what to say. I didn't want to lie, but I was scared to reveal my truth. I felt the walls closing in on me, so in a moment of panic, I confessed. Look, I have seen all 14 seasons of The Bachelor, plus four of The Bachelorette, and I'm currently recording at least 10 different programs on my DVR. He looked at me speechless and said, 
There's no reason to feel bad. You can always be honest with me. It's okay if you like TV, even if I don't. It took me a while to realize he meant what he was saying. He didn't judge me for watching TV. Well, except for the Real Housewives. <laughs> of any city. That's where he drew the line. <laughs> After talking it over with a few friends in long-term relationships, I started to see that it actually didn't matter if he approved or not. We could still have a, re have a relationship. Apparently, we were going to have some differences. <laughs> One friend pointed out that if watching celebrity rehab was our biggest problem, we're doing okay. It wasn't like we were the ones hitting bottom. We could simply shut off the TV. My friend very seriously said to me, you don't have to pretend to be anyone but yourself. That was some mind-blowing shit. <laughs> Getting to just be myself? That sounded lovely, but completely unattainable. I had never even considered such a thing. I was your classic chameleon, adapted to blend in with each new relationship. In college for a guy, I even got really into the WWE. I smelled what The Rock was cooking. <laughs> I had a VHS tape. For my new guy, I had taken equally drastic measures. I started learning about local and world politics and about important environmental issues concerning us all, all of which I read about in this thing called the newspaper. But now I could just be myself. I no longer had to pretend to care about anyone or anything. <laughs> I could go back to enjoying my mind-numbing television programs. So I tried to do just that. But I started feeling guilty as I watched one reality train wreck after the next. I began to wonder what I was missing out, out on in my own life while immersed in everyone else's. I also wondered what negative impact a show like here comes Honey Boo Boo has on society. I wonder what the world would be like without all of these wonderful opportunities for explo exploitation. Did I pronounce that right? That was like a thesaurus. Um, was I just part of the problem? I seem to have grown a conscious conscience. It was horrible. Then one day I discovered that my perfect guy and model citizen had a secret. He had conveniently understated his love for video games. After we moved in together, the truth could no longer be denied. He'd stay up way past bedtime playing Call of Duty and be grouchy the next day. He'd invite his buddy Dan over for a session and war would, would ignite in our home. Then one night, as I made my way up our walk home, I heard the all-too-familiar sounds of grenades and gunshots coming from our living room. <laughs> my guy must have heard the also-recognizable sound of the front gate opening, because next thing I know, I saw the silhouette of a man jump up and turn off the TV. <laughs> he said he only did that because he wanted to spend quality time with me but I couldn't help but think that maybe he felt a little embarrassed about his entertainment choice, too. 
So here I was reevaluating my entire existence because I enjoyed watching a little TV. <laughs> well, okay, a lot. While my highly educated boyfriend, who's a registered Green Party member and opposes war of any kind, <laughs> was spending a significant chunk of his free time in Mortal Kombat. <laughs> I am now married to this virtual warrior. <laughs> Our relationship has been a journey of individual exploration. I discovered that although I do love television, less is more. I also realized that keeping up with current events and giving a shit wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. <laughs> There's room in the world for both the Jersey Shore and the newspaper. My husband and I try to respect one another's differences. I don't try to figure out why he gets such a kick out of killing people and blowing shit up. <laughs> and he's given up making sense as to why someone in a happy, committed relationship would set aside a two-hour block to watch needy 20-year-olds every week fight for the love of one man <laughs> who they barely even know and likely won't stay with even if they win. <laughs> As a man, there are few things that you need to do in preparing for a wedding. My mother beat this into my head as a kid. Really, it's just two, what beer the groom wants for the bachelor party, and the size of the tits that he wants on the stripper. That's really all you need to know. From there on, you leave it to the bride. She takes care of everything, and her mom takes care of everything, and her maid of honor takes care of everything, and you just kind of sit back and relax. This next story reminds me of that, and just the nightmare that brides face when they're trying to put a wedding together. It's not just the dresses or the food or photograph or photographer or the DJ. There's also the matter of flowers, and more specifically, the centerpiece. And that's the title of the next story. Centerpiece, but... Piece titled P-E-A-C-E, -E, which I think is very clever. So let's take a listen. Melanie Vare, The Centerpiece. After the sixth batch of Centerpiece emails with my design-savvy girlfriends, it hit me what I had become. I promised my fiancé that I wouldn't be the type of girl who gets all consumed by the nitty-gritty details of planning a wedding. But here's the problem. Centerpieces don't just walk up onto the table themselves. <laughs> someone's got to create the wedding vision, and someone's got to execute it. I heard that in the old days, the groom used to plan the wedding. I'd like to see pictures of those centerpieces. <laughs> Bowls of potato chips and buckets of beer. My fiancé informed me that if it were up to him, there would be no centerpieces at all. In his defense, this was after I made the rookie mistake of running by him my gamut of ideas. Guys do not like ideas, especially centerpiece ideas, which ranged from lemon trees at each table to a medley of gorgeous yellow flowers and yellow fruits. 
Our color was obviously yellow, along with gray, but I decided to ignore that color since the only gray flowers and fruits were either dead or moldy. <laughs> my fiance gasped at my endless ideas, especially the lemon tree. Really, he asked, a lemon tree? It's not that he has anything against citrus plants. The centerpiece was just the idea that broke my groom's back. He let out a long, deep groan. It was the same confused cry I heard him make a few days earlier. I remember running frantically to our home office, wondering who had died or what kind of shenanigans the tea party had gotten into now. But instead, my fiancé spun around in his black leather office chair. Behind him, I could see our, that he was logged on to our restoration hardware registry. <laughs> A mango slicer, he said. <laughs> I thought he'd be thrilled that I found this innovative kitchen gadget. Plus, he loves mangoes. But he thought it was ridiculous and a good example of America's addiction to consumption. I knew from past experiences with my conservationist fiancé that planning something as wasteful as a wedding would be like trying to sell the Duck Dynasty a Prius or a set of Norelco clippers. So, in an effort to make the wedding process seem simple, my strategy was that I would do the bulk of the legwork, then just present my findings to my husband. Or my fiancé, sorry, messed that up. Um, I didn't even bother to inform him when I went into Restoration Hardware to register. Just did it on my own. I waited and waited for the perfect time. I waited until he was deep in the Nevada desert, filling the love at the Arts Festival of All Arts Festival, otherwise known as Burning Man. In hindsight, I realized it was sneaky and deceptive to register behind my fiancé's back. But you see, in my mind, he had lost his shopping privileges early on in the relationship. This was after he failed to savor the Target experience. <laughs> to me, Target is a half-day event. It's the highlight of my day, or let's face it, my weekend. To him, he just wanted to get in and get out. He brought a list. He stuck to it. He hovered. He paced. I didn't want to be rushed like that with something, rushed like that when it came to something as monumental as registering for my wedding. I mean, our wedding. <laughs> Plus, I knew he'd drag his feet and always find something to be a higher priority than selecting silverware and duvet covers. I, on the other hand, could not imagine a single scenario that could precede this process. I know I promised that I wouldn't become a bewitched bride, hyper-focused on the material aspects of a wedding, but that was before I realized this was my big chance to finally own a coffee maker with lots of buttons. <laughs> When I shared my registry frustrations with my friend, she pointed out that I could just simply buy a nice coffee maker myself. She had a good point. However, I made a mental note to never speak to her again. <laughs> she was a registry killjoy. Instead, I spent days on end perfecting our registry. I even had dreams where I'd have these elaborate holiday meals and visions of various serving pieces danced in my head. 
I had never prepared a single holiday meal, but surely once I was married, I would immediately. <laughs> I'd wake up and immediately log on to the registry and start editing. I didn't want to forget a single item spoken to me in my dreams by the wedding fairies. As I typed away on my computer first thing in the morning, my husband would smile at me, thinking I was hard at work. I didn't have the heart to tell him I wasn't working on my book. It was all worth it, though, because, oh, what a thrill it was when those restoration hardware boxes arrived. <laughs> I'd tear them open, wondering which of the gifts it was that I already knew I was getting. Somehow, knowing what was inside made it no less exciting. In fact, after receiving the first few gifts, at just the very sight of a UPS truck headed in the direction of my house, I got wet. I guess I'm just a traditionalist after all. And by traditionalist, I mean Bridezilla, who I never wanted to be, but somehow I briefly became. Luckily, our relationship is built on a lot more than a killer set of mint blue restoration hardware dishware and top-notch stainless steel all-clad cookware. That's just the icing on the cake. Fortunately, our relationship is filled with an undeniably delectable center comprised of 100% organic ingredients. Humor, acceptance, understanding, and most important, willingness to compromise. Speaking of which, sadly, I did not get to have lemon trees as centerpieces. But thankfully, we didn't have bowls of potato chips either. Instead, simple yet vivid bouquets of yellow flowers set against slate gray table linens played in the background of our joyous afternoon. The end. Disclaimer on that last story, Melanie mentioned getting silverware or doing a registry at Restoration Hardware, which you can do. You can do a registry at Restoration Hardware, but they do not actually have silverware there. Uh, she did it because she actually did her registry at Crate and Barrel, but she didn't think anyone in Tennessee where this live show happens knew what Crate and Barrel was. Except we all know what Crate and Barrel is, and um, but she was trying to be nice and help us out. But it was not; she did not do her registry at uh, Restoration Hardware. She did it at Crate and Barrel. Anyways, that wraps up our show for the day. Just want to remind you once again that our next live show will be in January, and the theme is Rocky Starts. And you can find more more out about it. You can find out more about it at our website that time of the month. Dot com with dashes between all the words. And I just should also let you know that Melanie did finally push her baby out. So she will be there after her long hiatus of three or four months now since being on stage and hosting a show. She will be back and is very excited. And uh, we'll have the baby in the baby Bjorn thing on stage. And we will try to keep her from breastfeeding, but I can't guarantee anything. So see you next month for Rocky Starts and possibly Melanie's Teat. Have a great day. Hi.
How now, brown cow, unique New York, unique New York. Hello, this is Chris Pilney. Hello, this is Chris... (laughs) Hello, this is... (coughs) Hello, this is Chris Pilney. Please contact that underscore time underscore of underscore... No, that's not it. Dashes. dashes. That dash time dash of dash the dash month at gmail.com. Damn it. (laughs) 